Thank you for listening to Gateway Church's Sermon of the Week. For more information about the ministry of Gateway Church and Pastor Chris Monahan, go to igateway.org. We are continuing on the book of Revelation. How many think it's a good thing right there? A needed book to go over. It's not about scaring you. That's what I love about the book of Revelation. It's not about this apocalypse that everyone told you it's the apocalypse. But the, the word apocalypse, does anybody remember what that means? Apocalypto. To unveil, to reveal. And what is the book of Revelation revealing or unveiling? Jesus Christ. So when you open up the book of Revelation and it tells you right at the very beginning, this is what the book is about. It's the unveiling of Jesus Christ that we should keep that in mind whenever we go through the entire book. Now, I'm a, I am a, I love to get things done. And I like, I'm, I'm guilty of skipping over forwards and introductions because I just want to get into the book. Does anybody else do that? And I, all right, somebody's like, yeah. But when I was in Cambodia, I was talking to a, a, a pastor, and he just told me, he said, Chris, and he was having a little bit of broken English, and he says, Chris, the most important part of the book is the introduction. And he said, when you read the introduction, then you understand what the rest of the book is about. So never, ever skip over the introduction. I'm like, oh, yeah, I never do that. No, I didn't say that. But... He was, he was, I mean, I've really heard the voice of God in his voice. And so when we go into the book of Revelation, we're going to continue. We're on chapter 14. And um, many of you know, uh, just a little update. We were not here last week. We were celebrating my, my mother's 80th birthday. I do have a, I think I have a picture of her. So this is, this is my mom and these are my um, brothers. I am the baby of the family. It's my older brother and my uh, the, the one in the middle, and, and that's my mom, 80 years old. Do you believe that? She still works full-time. She is uh, a workhorse, and she's a sweetheart. We love her. We got to surprise her with a, an 80th birthday party, and so um, let's just give it up for my mom, and she's great. All right. And so let's jump into the book of Revelation, chapter 14. Um, my goal today is that once again, we revisit the power of worship, how the revelation of unveiling of Jesus Christ is learning how to worship him, how to adore him, because there's, a, there's blasphemy that is happening all over our nation, all over our world. And why do they blaspheme Jesus? Why do they curse his name? You know, no one walks in and bumps their toe and goes, ow, Buddha. No one does that, Right. Or, ow, Muhammad, you know? And so why do they curse his name? Because there's authority in that name of Jesus. Yeah. And what we have to see is that when we worship, worship is the end game. I'm going to say that again. Worship is the end game. That's not just getting you ready for the sermon. It's the end game. When Jesus was in the wilderness... The devil continually told him, if you just worship me. Why? Because it's the end game. And our goal is to bring people to the acknowledgement, not only of worshiping God the Father, but worshiping his son, Jesus Christ. 
There is a battle about worship. There is a fight that goes on in the spiritual realm when it comes to worship. And we have to set our feet in the ground and say we're not moving back from worshiping Jesus. We can't stand back from that. So when we look into the book of Revelation, the first thing I want you to put in, we're going to do a little math today. Anybody love math here this morning? Okay, we're going to pray for you over here um, to help you deal with people and other things. No. Um, so we're going to do some, uh, 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 some signs here. So worship is greater than the beast. You can fill that in on your worksheet this morning. Worship is greater than the beast. And remember, oftentimes we don't look in the book of Revelation that the beast can represent our fleshly nature. There's a part of you that is a beast. We have to deal with that part of us. I know everyone thinks, well, I'm a Christian and I'm just full of Jesus. Yes, but there's a beast nature in you that you need to die to, that you need to put to death and nail to the cross because it's selfish, it's envious. It's, that's why we need the cross. That's why we identify with the cross. And one of the best ways to overcome the beast nature is through worshiping Jesus Christ. I went into prayer one morning and I remember just feeling I'm not enough. I'm, I'm, I'm not, you know, not doing enough for the Lord. Or you ever get in that place of prayer where instead of feeling lifted up, you, you can barely enter into his gates because you just, you have this thing called shame all over you. And I remember I heard the, the father's voice. He said, worship my son, Jesus. And as you worship him, his nature will come into you. And I remember as I was there that morning, I just began to worship Jesus and I felt cleansed. And I felt like that beast nature, that selfish nature. How many know when you focus on yourself, that's called your selfish nature? People oftentimes get into the self-pity mode. Woe is me. Nothing ever goes right. Woe is me. That's called self-pity. And it's the focus of self instead of the focus of Jesus. So we have to identify, I'm not going to live in the self-life. And one of the best ways to do that is through worship. How many want to see the beast die in your life? Amen. Amen. So we talk about the mark of the beast. Oftentimes in the Bible, when it talks about the mark, it's the same word that represents your character. How many know character counts? We like comfort. God loves character. My God, can't you just love a little comfort right now? Now I'm working on your character. Right. So we, we un identify that, that through worship. We see this in Revelation 5, 15, 2. It says, and I saw standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast. How many want to be victorious over the beast? <laughs> and its image and over the number of its name. They held harps given to them by God. Isn't that interesting? It didn't say they had, you know, bazooka launchers or laser guns or, you know, knives or swords. It said they had harps. You overcome the beast through the harp, through the music, through the song of your heart. We should just worship him continually. Lord, I just worship you. I thank you. I bless you. That's one of the ways that we keep the beast nature from overcoming us. Through worship. Brian Simmons says, all those who are one day victorious over the beast 
will learn to sing this eternal song of thanksgiving and praise. The beast can represent our self-life. You know, one of the things that is continually said in Scripture is, especially in the book of Revelation, is let him who has ears, let him hear. So go ahead and just check and make sure your neighbor has ears. Maybe just pull on it a little bit, you know, make sure it's there. Yeah, okay, okay. He who has ears, let them hear. But oftentimes what I'm finding is people have stuff in their ears. They need a good cleaning. I know Q-tips, don't use Q-tips. Uh, but you're trying to talk to people. But they get, some people have money stuffed in their ears. They can't hear the truth. Why? Because their focus is money, the spirit of mammon. Or maybe it's pride, or maybe it's their own stuff in their lives. And that's why it's so important that you get into a place of continually listening to Jesus and spending time and making sure that you don't have anything stuffed in your ears. It's so important. We have the word of God that goes in us, into us. Revelations 14, 12, 14, 2. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. And the smoke of incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God uh, from the hand of the angels. So we, we want to see our worship is like smoke that goes up before the Lord. It's like an incense. It's pleasing to him. But there's something that happens when we worship and when we, we release that smoke of incense. I believe that it's like a cup that begins to tip over as we fill it. Because that's how important our worship is. How important our worship is to fill those cups. If you ever studied the tabernacle, when the tabernacle, whenever the high priest would go into the tabernacle, and you can study this out, it actually wasn't the high priest. It was actually the son of the high priest. Uh, you'll have to study that one out. I can't get into that. But that's also a picture of Jesus himself as the son going in and making atonement. The son brings atonement. But what was key is they had this little uh, incense uh, altar out in front of the holy of holies of holies. And what they would do is they would burn incense and that incense would become so thick that, that when they would go in, God would show up behind there. But because they said, if you saw God, what would happen? Death. So what would happen is, is they would release the smoke of the incense and it had to be really thick because remember those dudes, Nadab and Abihu, yeah. they didn't have, they didn't use the right smoke and it wasn't thick enough. And they went in there and they saw God and boom, they died. So part of our worship is releasing the glory of God. You know, the glory of God rests upon truth. It rests upon worship. And when that glory of God begins to overtake the Holy of Holies, the Lord shows up. It's a beautiful picture of what we're called to do. I also believe, now my wife and I, we do a lot of natural stuff. Now this may sound a little crazy, but how many of you have ever used an ear candle before? How many have heard of ear candles, okay? Somebody say, I don't know about that. But it's, it's actually made of beeswax. And what you do is you stick this thing, I think I have a picture of it, you stick these things in your ear and you light it and then the smoke goes into your ear and it pulls the wax out. 
It opens our ears up. How many know that worship will open our ears up so that we can hear again? Worship and honey. Honey is so powerful. What happens is, is, is honey is like the word of God. We take the honey into us. It's sweet. It's rich. They say honey lasts forever. They found it in, in the tombs of the pharaohs, and it was not moldy. Nothing was wrong with it because it's everlasting, just like God's word is everlasting, and it will never change. That's how powerful his word is. And when we begin to light these words up, and it goes into our ears, it begins to take out those things that are keeping us from hearing God's voice. To him who has ears... Let him hear. He could have said to him who has a nose, let him smell. Right? Him who has a mouth, let him eat. No. To him who has ears. So you and I have to guard this place of hearing from God. It's so important. We have to know. When I feel like I can't hear from God, I'm like a fish out of water. I'm just flopping around trying to get back into the presence of God. And worship is one of those keys. And applying the blood of Jesus, let's all say, the blood of Jesus. Come on, say it. There's power when you say that. There's power when you declare that blood. Verse 11, and it says, and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. Now, it's interesting that on our side of things, smoke represents worship and moving God's heart. But when you read about smoke in Revelation, it's about the the devastation of the wicked. There's smoke, and it talks about the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever, and there will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast in its image or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. But it talks about us. There's, there's two different groups of people Revelation speaks about. Those who are being led by the beast. We talked about the mark of the beast. The mark is the character of the beast. It, it may be a literal mark, but I can tell you, biblically, it's, there's a lot of symbolism. When we talk about symbolism, we talk about the seal of God and the mark of the beast. But there will be two different groups of people. We need to be following the lamb and not the beast. Who are you following? Let me tell you, the media right now, they're following the beast. Don't trust the propaganda that they're shoving down your throat. If you're not paying for your news right now, you're being lied to. Got quiet in here. It's about true. Revelations 14, 4, it says, they follow the lamb wherever he goes. We have to follow the lamb. How do you know what you're listening to, what you're following is the lamb? I would love to tell you it's by reason or being smart, having a lot of smarticles in your brain or whatever that is. Smarticles. Or is it just by knowing in the spirit, I spent time with Jesus today, and this feels like the Lord, right? I don't know why. I just feel, Lord, I feel like it's you. And then you you connect with other people who are following the lamb. Like, dude, those people are, how many can tell those people are following the lamb? And they're saying the same things that I'm feeling. Then follow those people. It says, no lie was found in their mouths. They were blameless. Then I saw another angel flying in midair, Revelations 14, 6, and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth. He said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made 
the heavens and the earth. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the people of God who keep his commandments and remain faithful to Jesus. We got anybody here that keeps his commandments and that's faithful to Jesus? Yeah, all right. But it calls for patient endurance. We have, how many feel like we've had to endure some things? We have to persevere. We have to stand under some things and don't quit. It's not a time for snowflakes. We got to be strong. We got to stand in the truth. But what I love about these scriptures is you find that in the last days, there's, there's judgment that's coming on the enemies of God. That's good news. God's justice is to judge the wicked and to reward the righteous. You're going to receive a war reward for your patient endurance. Come on, you should be encouraged this morning. God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. There's a reward coming. People say, oh, I'm just in it because I love Jesus. I just love Jesus. I don't need the reward. No, let the reward motivate you. God is a rewarder, right? So... I need a motivation sometime. When David went to fight Goliath, he said, what do I get if I take this guy down? He asked three times, what do I get? You get the king's daughter. Let me see what she looks like. Mm. <laughs> Woo, all right. And you don't have taxes. Okay, no taxes in her. All right, let me get this right. No taxes, that one right there. Okay, I'll do it. God is a rewarder, and he wants to reward you for your faithfulness. Nice little golf clap on the golf course. So their end times is marked with great judgment, but also soul winning. There's an angel proclaiming the gospel in midair. You know, I mean... When we get out there, I mean, it's, we need to be evangelizing. We need to be getting out there and sharing the gospel and preaching the gospel. But isn't it good to know that God can just put an angel right up in the sky, declare it, and everybody hears it and knows? There's a scripture in 1 Corinthians 15 that said 500 people visibly saw the risen Christ all together at once. Do it again, God. Wouldn't that be awesome? It'd be a sign in the sky like, wow, everyone saw him. It wasn't just me and my prayer time and I had an encounter, went to heaven or whatever. Everyone saw that. That's what is here now. It's what's happening in Muslim countries all over the world. Jesus is appearing to people and they see him and they know he's Jesus, but nobody told them. It's happening again. We begin to see this. The end times. It says about the Son of Man in Revelations 14, 16. So he who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth, and the earth was harvested. Verse 2, and it says, I saw those who had been victorious over the beach. <laughs> over the beach. Some of you went on vacation, and I know you were not victorious over the beach. But we will forgive you. We'll have prayer for you over on this side. Those of you who love math over on this side. Those of you who are not victorious over the beach on this side. This sounds like a cult right now. Okay. Okay. So there's declarations that are happening in heaven. There's praise that's happening up in heaven right now. 
holy, 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 great and marvelous are your deeds. There's declarations of praise. But then we begin to see and read in Revelation chapter 15 about these bowls of wrath. So you have seven seals and then judgment. Then you have seven trumpets and then you have judgment. And then you have seven bowls and then there's seven more judgments. And again, a lot of this is imagery, a lot of it's symbolism, but a lot of it may yet to be fulfilled. I'm not an expert on the book of Revelation, but this is the best I got. One of the things I recognize from the book, these three chapters here, is that God's wrath is being poured out. Let's read about this in Revelation 15, 8. And it says, And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. So there's this time where the, the judgments are coming out of heaven on the earth because of the blasphemy, because of the disobedience, because of the breaking of his commandments. God is a God of justice. But the strange thing about these chapters is nobody is repenting. Nobody is repenting. There's more wrath being poured out, and their hearts get even harder and harder. You know what it reminds me of? Pharaoh. Remember the story of Pharaoh. Another judgment's poured out, and Pharaoh's unrelenting to repent. How many know there are people in the world today that they are hell-bent? They don't... Okay, I'm going to take you off the map a little bit. I am not praying for certain people to be saved right now. I'm praying for the swift judgment of God on their lives. Now, I say that carefully. If somebody comes against me personally, I pray for them. But if there are world leaders and people out in the world today seeking to bring the destruction of our planet and of our future generations, I am not praying nice prayers. I'm not. I won't. We have to learn how to come into alignment. And again, these are dangerous prayers. I understand that. Doesn't the Bible say love your enemies? I get that. But these people are God's enemies. This is where I'm at. When you read some of the, we call them the imprecatory psalms. They're releasing judgment over God's enemies. And the church is not ready to hear this message yet. But I want to walk into that. I believe we're coming into this season where as we worship, we're going to begin to see things change. How many of someone is hell-bent and will not repent? We want to see their swift destruction as quickly as possible. You guys are scared to say amen this morning. I understand. I get it. I, I come to you with fear and trembling. I come to, I've wrestled with this over the last five years. I said, I don't know if this is you, Lord. But the word of God has to be our guidance and our direction. So if, number two, wrath does not equal repentance. You would think the more wrath that's poured out is going to bring repentance. You know, sometimes people say, oh, you know, this terrible tragedy happened to them so that they would come to Christ. But did you know if you look at that, Historically, and in, in most people's lives, the more bad stuff that happens to people, the farther they're driven from God. Like nine out of ten are driven farther away from God when bad stuff happens. 
maybe one out of 10 comes to their senses. But for the most part, when things are bad, people get more hardened. But as the church, Revelation 16, 7, it says, And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. God is just. God is true. Judgment will fall. And sometimes we're waiting for judgment to fall and we feel like it's because we're not doing enough. But did you know there's a scriptural backing that it's not because we as the church aren't doing enough, though I say we must do more. But oftentimes it's the enemy just hasn't sinned enough yet. Hello, it's working. Judgment will not fall until sin has reached its full measure. So we have to keep that in mind as we, as we study the scriptures. It says the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was, not, was allowed to scorch people with fire. It says they were seared by intense heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had control over these plagues, but let's say that, what does it say? But they refuse to repent. I'm in Revelation 16, 9. But they refuse to repent. There are some people that will refuse to give their heart to Jesus no matter what happens. They have been brainwashed. They have swallowed the pill. They have given themselves over to evil. And this is as where we as the church got to say, God, you're just and true in your ways and in your judgments. And I want to partner with God on bringing the enemy down. Jesus was prophesied to bring the rising and the falling of many. You, the local church, you're called to bring the rising up of godly people, godly government, godly entertainment, godly education. And you're called to bring down ungodly government ungodly education and ungodly entertainment that's our call but be honest i don't think we're mad enough we're not angry enough because christians stink at being angry we think anger is a sin anger is not a sin be angry it's sin not but we are so I don't want to get angry. Pastor, you need to be nice. Nice. Did you know anger is a great motivator? And I find myself wrestling with that, that, that force of anger that I think the local church needs to have to see things done. One of the ten characteristics of Yahweh in the Old Testament, I, I did a study on this one time. There's 10 characteristics, and one of those is Yahweh is slow to anger. Now, how many of you have gone for a job interview before? And they say, you know, hey, Jack, tell me a little about yourself. Well, I'm always on time, I work hard, and I'm slow to anger. Next. Because we don't understand that. What does it mean to be slow to anger? God himself gets angry. Come on. We're made in the image of God. We oftentimes, we, we, because we've been told anger is bad, right? Because we've seen anger misused, we don't know how to use anger appropriately. 
And nobody wants to be known, oh, you know, Gateway Church, they're the angry church. <laughs> we want to be the happy church and the, the loving church. We'll make that our new model. Gateway Church, slow to be angry. But it's a character quality that we need to begin to invite into our lives because anger is a great motivator. There are some things that should make your blood boil. Harriet Tubman, Harriet, no, Harriet Beecher Stowe, she wrote a little book called Uncle Tom's Cabin. And she set ablaze our nation because of the horrors of slavery that she uncovered and spoke about in her book. Abraham Lincoln met her one day and he said, you're the little lady who started this civil war because of the evil of slavery. And it stirred up an anger in a nation that motivated this nation to crush the evils of slavery and racism. I mean, we still are battling some of those issues, but can I tell you, our nation went through that purging because people got angry. And we are at the time of anger again. I don't know what it looks like. I'm just preaching it how I got it. But it says they were seared and they refused to repent and glorify him. And it says the fifth angel poured out his bowl, verse 10, on the throne of the beast and on its kingdom was plunged into darkness and people gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pain and sores and they refused to repent. Of what they had done. We keep looking at this. Waiting for the people to repent. But they won't repent. Some people. Will not repent. There are some people that you're praying for right now. That you need to ask God. Should I still be praying for these people. The way I'm praying for them. I wrote a book on prayer. And one of the chapters was. When not to pray. And it was. It's enlightening. When we begin, we begin to realize there are certain people that we stop praying salvation prayers for. There are certain people that we should never pray for and let other people pray for them. Especially if someone has abused you, do not pray for them. Let other people pray for, the, pray for them. There's 8 billion people in the world. Because what happens is, I believe it. We're not called to pray for every. I'm, I know for some of us, we're told as Christians, we need to be nice and pray for those who despitefully use you. But can I tell you, there are some situations that you and I have been through that praying for them is not healthy for us. And we need to let that go and give it to God and let other people pray. Does that make sense? If you have any questions, just ask me. I'm, I'm fine. You don't have to agree with everything your pastor preaches to come to Gateway. Look at your neighbor and say, thank God. All right. Yeah, that was good. All right. We're going to uh, land this plane here soon. I've been um, going into this last last uh, talk here. The last thing, we, we talked about how worship overcomes the beast. Um, wrath doesn't necessarily mean people will repent. These are some things you need to chew on and go deeper. The last thing is that blasphemy equals stoning. I know you were talking about that over your cornflakes this morning. But it says in the Bible, in Leviticus, it talks about blasphemy. 
And what we find in the book of Revelation is that there is blasphemy, continuous blasphemy. The church is called the worship. Come on, can we give Jesus a shout of praise this morning? Hallelujah, Jesus, okay? Like, we're clear in the air, but the world's out there blaspheming, right? They're blaspheming the name of Jesus. And so it's the exact opposite of what we do as his people. But there's a law in the book of Leviticus, and it says, whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregations shall stone him. The sojourners as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name, shall be put to death. So there's this law in the Bible that if you blaspheme, you'll be stoned. And that not, doesn't mean with narcotics, okay? That means with rocks, just so you all know. Somebody got that here this morning. You're all so Christian. Like, I didn't know what he meant. I wasn't thinking that. But it says this. In Revelations 18, 16, 18, then there came flashes of lightning, rumbling, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since mankind has been on the earth. So tremendous was the quake. And then it says in Revelation 16, 21, from the sky, huge hailstones, each weighing about 100 pounds, fell on the people and they repented. No, they didn't. And they cursed God on account of the plague of hail because the plague was so terrible. So we see that there's judgment that is coming and it comes upon people. Now, whether this is symbolic or whether this is actual, um, I think you can remember there's a danger about taking everything literally. But that doesn't mean it's not literal. Remember the story about Jesus. Jesus said, hey, I'll just... You'll destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it again. And they took him literally. And then they accused him. Oh, Jesus said he's going to tear down our temple. That's why he got killed, because they took his statements literally. So there's a danger in taking everything literally. But that doesn't mean that nothing is literal. Does that make sense? So we see that there's these pictures of an asteroid or something coming into, this, into the planet that could bring destruction to our whole planet. Now, I'm going to read this because the book of Revelation touches on this. And this is a little out there, but I got the microphone. So it says, And the fifth angel blew his trumpet and, a, and saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. How many know that there are signs in the skies? That God has put there before to lead us and guide us, to, to aware us. Remember when Jesus came, there was a star that was in the sky. But in Revelation, when there was a judgment blown, talks about a star falling from the sky. What do you think that looks like? A, a meteorite or an asteroid? I know somebody will probably explain the difference uh, to me about the difference, but I don't know right now. It's okay. Revelations 8.8 8 talks about the second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire, was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood? What's that sound like? Sounds like an asteroid or a meteor that it hits the planet. Interesting. How many know that in April 2029, Friday the 13th, there is an asteroid named Apophis, 
will come close enough to us to destroy TV satellites. How many have heard about Apophis? You have not heard of Apophis? Okay, some of you heard of Apophis. Okay, it's this asteroid that is, that is about, is taller than a 100-story building, traveling at 10 times the speed of a bullet. If scientists miscalculated Apophis's trajectory, it would blast the Earth with the fury of 65,000 atomic atoms, atomic bombs. Atomic atoms. <laughs> Let's all say atomic atoms. I'm not the only one that said it. We have the English people back there. They do all my editing back there. I know. It's important. There's, all I say, it's a lot of bombs will be dropped that day, okay? So this is what, this is interesting. Stoning is when a rock is hurled to bring injury or death when it strikes. That's what stoning is, throwing a stone. What is an asteroid? It's a stone that's hurled towards something to bring destruction or death because of blasphemy. Is there a stoning that's happening in our solar system that is actually an asteroid that's being hurled toward us to bring destruction because of blasphemy? I'm going to close on a happier note, though. <laughs> Are you guys ready for a happier note? But isn't that wild? I mean, come on. I mean, I'm just throwing things out at you. And you can research it yourself. There's people who say it has a 2% chance of hitting us. It's, there's no way it's going to hit us. And I know the news would never lie to us. So, of course, you know, I just, of course. You know, why, they would never hide this. And if you watch, it's unfortunate. But if you watch movies from 10 years ago, you see it all playing out anyway. And I think there was just a movie about this that they were putting out. So, again... You take this for yourself, but I think it's fascinating, number one, that it's injury or death through a stone that's being hurled due to blasphemous statements. And I think we need to warn our people. I am so not afraid to stand up to political leaders or people with, you know, these, these rich elites that are making stupid decisions. We have the blood of Jesus. I have more authority in this, in this universe than they will ever have. Because it comes through the person of Jesus Christ. And so if people threaten me, I'm like, that's stupid on steroids. Oh, you're going to kill me? Yeah, that's like a blessing. I get to go to, I don't want to die. I want to fulfill the call of God on my life. But I'm not afraid to die. You're going to threaten me with heaven? I'm going to threaten you with Disneyland. <laughs> really? I'm not scared. Like, we don't have to be afraid anymore. We have to speak truth. We have to stand. We have to be persevering. But can I tell you, we, we have to fight. We have to get angry. This is a hard message for most of you. And it's a hard message to preach in the church. Because this is a new season. This is the Kairos moment. The things that you were told in the last season will not work in this season. It, it's just the way it is right now.
This is a Kairos moment. We have to stop thinking things are going to be like the way they were. No, they're not. We have to do something. We have to act. We have to fight. We have to get angry again because our society is sick right now, and we need to act. Deb and I, we were back in our um, hometown, Honesdale, Pennsylvania. It's where we, we met, and so we got to uh, do a little hike, and there's a, a famous uh, cliff that's in our town. I think we can put that cliff up, and um, this, is, this is actually a view from my hometown. I'm closing right now, by the way. Uh, but this is the cliff at over, you know, every, I, I used to have a paper out and, you know, every, every morning I'd go out and I'd see the star or the cross, but this is called Irving Cliff because, uh, there was a famous 19th century American author, Washington Irving. Anybody ever heard of Washington Irving? I know some of you have. All right. He's known for such uh, famous stories like Rip Van Winkle and the legend of Sleepy Howell. That's the one with the heads cut off, right? Okay. Good stories to talk about in church. Is that it or no? Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, but anyway, he took a hike on our mountain up to that cliff back in uh, about 1820, 1825. And he was so amazed by this cliff. This was a, a beautiful cliff and a scenic site that they actually ended up calling it Irving Cliff. And it's a, it's a beautiful, we got to go up there and we took a, uh, we drove up. But we got to see this beautiful, beautiful spot. And about... I'd say about 40 years after it was, uh, it was named, there was, um, there was a hotel that someone said, you know what? We need to build this hotel. Can you put the picture up of the hotel? And in about 1883, they started building this huge, massive, like 200-room hotel with electricity. And because Washington Irving was so taken by this beautiful view. He said, wouldn't it be great that we build this beautiful hotel up here? And so they, they constructed it and they worked on it. And it was, I believe in 1889, they were about a month away to opening up this beautiful, elegant, top of the line hotel. It was, I mean, it was made for, you know, statesmen and actors and famous people to come and stay and, and to take tours and and hikes all around. But a month before it opened up, there was a terrible fire. And the entire building, what you see here, was burnt to the ground before it could ever have one single guest in it. And as we were walking up there, I thought to myself, what a difference it would have made if someone stop that fire. Maybe it was an electrical problem. Maybe it was arson. Maybe it was just someone who was careless in the, in the way they built it. But I thought about all the people in this town and all the, the marriages and the honeymoons and the celebrations that would have happened for hundreds, you know, decades if this tragedy didn't happen. And if someone somehow could have stopped it. You ever feel like that sometimes? You're like, oh, what it could have been. And I think today as we look up at the, at the you can show the picture, the first picture. The only thing that's there today is a, is a little lighted hill with a star. And that's all that's ever been there since the time I knew it. But it could have been something so 
much more. Maybe, maybe if there was one person who would have just said, I'm going to act, or one person who said, I'm going to double check this, or one person did something a little different, that in our entire valley would have been changed. And I don't want, as a church, to one day say, we could have. We could have stopped that. We could have made the difference. I should have. I could have. Would have. Could have. Should have. And so tonight, or today, as we end, what does Jesus say? He says, look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed. We have to be remain clothed in power, and we got to stay awake. Don't quit. Keep enduring. Okay? The Lord is looking to us right now in this time. He's doing things. There's people right now in our region that are being supernaturally touched by God, and they don't even know what's happening. They're just waiting for you and I to reach out to them, to love on them, and to speak the good news of God over them. But we have to stay awake. We have to endure. We have to keep his commands. And we have to remain faithful. Let's stand together. Come on, let's give God a shout of praise. He is good. So come on, I just invite you. Let's lift our hands up to the Lord. Father, I thank you this morning. I thank you for this people. God, I thank you that you've clothed them with power. And God, I thank you that you will give them your strength to endure. God, I thank you for now what you're doing in their lives and their hearts. I thank you for your guidance and your direction over them. I thank you that we are followers of the lamb and not followers of the beast. And God, I pray right now for Holy Spirit conviction upon every one of us, God. Convicting us of who we are. Convicting us of what difference we can make. Convicting us of what difference we can make now in this time. And so, Lord, I thank you right now for a release of visions and dreams, endurance and patience, God, upon everyone within the sound of my voice. And I release the boldness of a lion over everyone in the sound of my voice. God, we thank you. Thank you for the seed of Jesus that you planted in this earth. And God, thank you that we are the church. We are, the, we are what this seed is manifesting right now. The fruit of it. The breakthrough of it. You're imparting to us to be clothed in power and by your Holy Spirit. Thank you for your spirit, God, coming upon us in power today for the purposes and plans that you have for us, God. We give you thanks for it in the name of Jesus. Come on, let's give Jesus some thanks this morning. Thank you for listening to Gateway Church's Sermon of the Week. For more information about the ministry of Gateway Church and Pastor Chris Monahan, go to igateway.org. Boldness. See, the blood of Jesus is able to forgive you of every sin that you've ever committed, but you have to believe that. And this is why I want to talk very specifically uh, today about the sin of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And um, as I'm teaching you this today, the reason I've included that in, in this session is because there's many people who are living under guilt and shame um, because of this teaching or the lack of teaching 
um, on the, the baptism of, I'm not the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So let me take a few minutes and explain to you uh, the revelation that I received about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And I want to just mention that uh, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit has been me is mentioned three times in the Gospels. And um, let me just read you one of the scriptures. Jesus said, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. Okay, so this is a pretty heavy scripture that Jesus is describing here. And when you look into your workbook, you can see the three instances where this uh, is mentioned, where blasphemy, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is mentioned. And I think it carries so much weight because um, what happens is, is that when we look at this uh, issue or this sin, we find that uh, it's interpreted in many different ways, but also because it says it's an unforgivable sin. And so everyone's like, oh no, have I committed the unforgivable sin? And so scholars interpret the idea of Holy Spirit blasphemy or HSB, and maybe I'll just call it that, in many different ways. Let me show you a few different, or tell you just a few different ways. A lot of people take it into context of as it's an unforgivable sin, but in the context of this story, uh, a lot of people say, well, it, it's referring to when the Pharisees or the religious people say that the works that Jesus are, is doing is actually of the devil. And I thought to myself, well, man, I've done that before. I must have committed the unforgivable sin. And so I said to myself, that doesn't make any sense because the idea that this sin is unforgivable carries a lot of weight uh, when we look at it in the scriptures. And so a lot of people don't talk about this verse, but, um, or a lot of people say, well, it, it actually, if you are asking the question, have I committed blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, then um, you must have the Holy Spirit is what they, what they say. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a whole different take on this scripture and I hope that this helps you. Um, so think about this. So I believe HSB, Holy Spirit blasphemy, is a vague rule with harsh consequences which our God would not enforce on man. Uh, because no one knows what HSB is. No one's sure what it is. But it's got the harshest of consequences. It says it's an unforgivable sin. The moment you commit it, you're un you cannot be forgiven. So this is, uh, this is why I do not see this sin can even be committed by human beings. Uh, it's an unforgivable sin, but it's not an unforgivable sin uh, for us as humans, it's an unforgivable unforg sin for Satan and his and the angels that uh, left heaven and that rebelled against God. And this is the context that I want to say it because think about this: as a good parent, you know, good parent requires uh, us to give clear rules. Good parenting requires us to give clear rules and clear consequences for each violation. And when we look into the scriptures, we know, number one, that God is a good father. He is not going to give us harsh consequences for a rule that we don't understand. And Holy Spirit blasphemy is, is, is not mentioned outside of the Gospels. It's not mentioned in church history as, a, as an issue that we need to be focusing on. So I, I think we, we've misunderstood the meaning of this, that it's not a sin that man can commit, but it's actually a sin that Satan committed. So when it says it's an unforgivable sin, 
Jesus is saying, listen, all sins of men can be forgiven, but blasphemy of the Spirit or Holy Spirit blasphemy is what Satan and his angels committed. And so that means they've committed the unforgivable sin and they will never be pardoned. They will never be forgiven. And so I want you to, to think on those lines when you're reading uh, in context, you can go through these scriptures later and study those out because Jesus says twice, and again, I want to read this, that if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So this scripture is saying, listen, God is a good father. He is not going to give us harsh consequences for a rule that we don't understand. Absolutely. So Jesus is addressing in uh, the, the context here, I believe, the fate of Satan and other spirit be beings versus human beings in the physical realm. This, the blasphemy of the Spirit, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, is a sin that Satan committed. And when we look at this in context, you'll find that there are two times in the uh, teaching that Jesus mentions Holy Spirit blasphemy, he starts off his talk with saying, all sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. So he starts off to say, listen, everything man has done is forgiven. But what Satan and his angels has, have done, that is unforgivable. Now, why is, why is this teaching important? Well, let me give you a story. As When I was first came to Christ, when I was uh, at Penn State University, uh, you know, a number of years ago when I was in college, I remember uh, there was this one girl in, uh, in one of our campus groups, and one day she just said out of the blue, she said, hey, as I was praying the other night, I decided to start praying for Satan. And I thought, why, why are you praying for Satan? And she said, well, I, I figured, you know, if I start praying for Satan and he gets saved, then what happens is then the whole world would be changed because no longer would Satan hate us and hate Jesus because he could actually get forgiveness. Now, I didn't understand, you know, I didn't know how to respond. I mean, you know, I understood her thought process, but I knew in my spirit, that's, <laughs> that's not a good plan right there. And um, so when we look at this scripture, we can see the reason why Jesus said that that sin is unforgivable unforgivable because it was being applied to Satan and his angels, the fallen angels, that we should never pray for them because they, they've committed an unforgivable sin. But it doesn't apply to us. It doesn't apply to any man or woman on this planet. So again, Jesus said, all sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. Amen. So we don't have to worry or, or be... Um, even concerned about the guilt or the shame that the Satan would love to put on us uh, about this portion of Scripture. Satan and his kingdom have committed spirit blasphemy and can never be saved or redeemed. Jesus is teaching us that the fate of the kingdom of darkness is unalterable. So he doesn't want us wasting our time praying for Satan to be saved. I don't think many of you have, but just in case you run into somebody that says, hey, I'm praying for Satan, I think you can uh, know how to respond. I didn't back then, but at least now I have a better idea. You know, the Bible says, and it's one of my favorite scriptures, Romans 16, 20. It says that God of peace will soon crush 
Satan under your feet. And this is such a beautiful scripture that I want to break down to show you that uh, because Satan's future is unalterable, his future is pitiful. He's miserable. And we are helping enforce his, uh, his downfall through the power of Jesus, through our position in prayer. That's why Satan wants to keep us out of prayer because he knows he's, it's a done deal when we do battle, when we go to court and we receive heaven's commands and we get heaven's judicial uh, decisions and we pull them down to earth. And so when we go before the throne of God, it's almost like we, um, and we'll talk more about this, that we are going to a courtroom. We're not as much going into a battle. We go to the courtroom first and we say, Father, in Jesus' name, I declare the sins of so-and-so forgiven, or I declare the sickness of so-and-so to be healed. And we begin to make these declarations before heaven. It's almost like in the heavenly realms, we've, we are appealing to Caesar. We are appealing to the highest court. And then uh, everything begins to, heaven begins to come into our situation. But what this scripture tells us, and I'll just describe this here, is that when we talk about the God of peace, peace is such a powerful force. When I pray for people now, and I used to pray for them, I'm like, hey, you feeling anything? Because you know, did you feel his power? Did you feel his electricity? They're like, well, I felt peace. I'm like, eh, and anymore, I'm like, no, peace is powerful. Peace crushes anxiety. And the Bible says the God of peace, he's giving us anxiety-free prayer. Bible says in Philippians, don't be anxious for anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. Um, the moment, you know, is, is I'm trying to figure some stuff out. Sometimes we have, uh, there's trouble in paradise sometimes in my life. In the moment I'm trying to figure it out and I get a headache or I feel like I get anxious, the moment I step into anxiety um, is the moment I back out and I just take it, Lord, I give this situation to you. We're called to have anxiety-free prayer. He also says that we'll soon crush Satan. That means victory is soon coming and Satan knows it and he's doing everything he can to keep us out of prayer. And the last thing about this prayer, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet is that when we, we are cooperating with heaven in prayer, that's how God is using us in this season and inviting us into that position. The Bible itself has over 40,000 names of persons, places, and what I've done is I've taken the 3,250 different names in the Bible and I've placed their meaning right next to the actual proper name in the scriptures, and it's called the Name Translation Bible. We look forward to you going deeper into the Word of God through the Name Translation Bible. God bless.